Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure, Bonnie D. in the house. We have a very special show for you today. We're going to have conversations, not just among ourselves, but what would you say to somebody who was a hero, an icon, a, a leader in their field who's no longer alive? Or what would you say to a fictional character in a cartoon, in a movie, something made up, somebody imagined this character, this quote-unquote person? What if you could have a conversation and talk to them through AI? You know I love ChatGPT, and I'm going to read you my little intro poem in a minute. And a shout-out to Josh Greenbaum, an analyst who's been on several of my business shows, was on one recently, and he called me the poet laureate of the virtual world because I open my shows with poems. So thank you, Josh. I don't deserve the title, but I will work hard to to earn it. And shout out to our engineer, Matt Widener at Voice America today. So let me read my opening and then I'm going to start off the show. My five guests, my wonderful guests, we've got, who we got here? We've got Jed Taylor, wave hello. And we've got uh, Mary Nunnally. We've got Brian Mattimore without the W today. And we've got Tom Madonna and we've got Bob Ficken. I know them all well. And they said they'd love to have these conversation. So I've asked them and they've each had a chat conversation with one or more real people no longer of this world and one or more characters who never were in this world, but we wish they had been. And I'm going to start out after my monologue with a couple of my conversations. So let me read the monologue. Here we go. Good afternoon. Good morning, dear audience, to our tech filled space where the future unfolds at a rapid pace. Technology revolution, the future of now rendezvous with host Bonnie D. That's me and her scarlet mic exploring the future with a curious curiosity view. In the realm of AI where conversations transcend, we delve into the past where real voices blend. What would the great minds those voices so clear say about AI if they were here? Shakespeare may ponder an iambic refrain, Einstein with theories, AI's potential to gain, fictional characters too from realms untold, their AI musings a story to unfold. Joining us today on this futuristic chart, wave hello when I call your name, Jed Taylor, wave, Brian Mattimore, wave, Mary Nunnally in part, and Bob Ficken and Tom Madonna, wave, more voices of the hour. Their insights on AI, a captivating power. You're all captivating today, so do that. So buckle up, dear audience, for a journey profound into the future of now where voices resound. Technology revolution chats with a roster vast AI conversations from future to past. What'd you all think? Pretty good? Well I, done. I, well done. Thank you. I, I love a little feedback here. Okay. Thank you very much. Let's have thumbs up. If everybody liked it, let's have thumbs up. Okay. There we go. See? And now I've got, now I'm going to give you, let's see what this does. You know that uh, Sonoma, the new iOS operating system has all kinds of features that you can, I can make it rain. I can make it snow. I can, yes, I can have a confetti parade for all of you. So before we do the introductions, I just want to read to you my conversation with Elvis how I did it on ChatGPT, and then we'll do quick bios around the table and we'll get started. So ChatGPT, through me, I said, hey, ask Elvis Presley how he would use AI in his music if he were here today. So ChatGPT said, hey, Elvis, 
the musical maestro. In this age of AI, how would you let your melodies flow? Would you let algorithms sway to your tunes, enhancing your rock and roll under digital moons? And then I said, chat GPT, now write a poem. First person answers from Elvis, and here's the poem. In this digital age where circuits align, I see visions of a future both bold and fine. My guitar, now tuned to the grace of AI, plays melodies anew beneath the cosmic sky. Algorithms whisper to each string I strum, enhancing the twang, making the music hum, predicting the chords with each rhythmic bend in my hands, a virtuoso blend. Sequins and glimmer in the stage's warm light. I bedazzle, I'm a shimmering sight. AI, my stylist with Fashion finesse crafts outfits that dazzle a sartorial success. In the rhythms of pickle, pixels, pickles too, where performances unfold, I, Elvis, the sequins in AI, my story to be told. The stage a canvas for my musical might in this AI era, I will continue to shine bright. What'd you all think? Well done, Poet Laureate. Well, thank you. I worked on that with AI. And now let me tell you, I did one with Wonder Woman briefly here. I said, AI, chat GPT, let's have fun. Please ask Wonder Woman, the fictional character, because Mary, we know there are a lot of Wonder Women who are real people. That's right. How would she use AI to fight off the bad guys and the bad gals? I had to be inclusive here. So ChatGPT said, Wonder Woman, with your wisdom and strength, how would you use AI to go to any length to fight off the bad guys and gals you see in this tech-infused world? What would your strategy be? So I said to ChatGPT, please write a poem now with first-person answers from Wonder Woman. And here's what we get. In the world where shadows dance and darkness may prevail, I step forward clad in armor, fierce and hail with my lasso of truth and AI by my side. A poetic symphony of justice shall now be my guide to fight off the bad guys, AI, my trusted ally, predicting their schemes beneath the azure sky, algorithms humming, unveiling their plot in the realm of technology where heroes are sought kind of rhymed. With my enchanted gear enhanced by code, I stand in justice bestowed. AI-infused tools, sharp and keen, outsmarting the villains at digital scene. The lasso of truth now intertwined with data and insights justice defined in the high-tech battleground where heroes defend. As I battle the bad guys in the day and the night, in the realm of pixels and justice entwined, I prevail my strength and shine, enshrined. What'd you all think? Sorry for the stumble. Pretty good? Okay, let's go around the table and let's find out. Now, I did my uh, my audience-ometer for all of you because you've all been on how many times? Mary, uh, 5,000 times. Bob, 4,000. Tom, 6,000. Jed, 300. You're new. And Brian, he goes back 20 years with me, 100. Okay. <laughs> So, so listen, everybody, I want I want you to spend about two minutes talking to the 18.3976 people who don't remember you. I apologize for their rudeness, but that's all. They, everybody knows you by now. So, Jed Taylor, I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please take two minutes and refresh us? Who are you and why are you here talking with AI? Jed, welcome back. Thank you. Um, so I am an executive that works in the software industry, and I've specialized in financial services. I've launched multiple businesses. I'm on, uh, I've been on multiple corporate boards as well. And right now I am a consultant. I'm an, a fractional executive helping with uh, product launches, particularly in financial services or, or products, uh, startups, or even uh, just new product launches, uh, mostly from a product and uh, strategy perspective. And then I'm also doing AI um, trainings with banking executives, so working with their executive teams to help them understand how AI can help or hurt them in the banking banking world. 
Did you have fun doing your conversations, which we'll get to in a minute, Jed? I really enjoyed it. In fact, I was surprised. Um, and I was disappointed in one of them, and I'll explain why. Okay, when we get to it. Thank you very much. Let's go to Brian W. Mattimore, who has brought some amphibians in his throat. Brian, we understand. Uh-huh. So do your best. Two-minute bio. Let's see if you can last through this. Brian, welcome back. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Um, yeah, I, I have a 25-year-old innovation agency. It's called Growth Engine. I'm the idea guy at Growth Engine, and we've done, you know, over 200 successful innovation projects. I've personally facilitated over a thousand ideation sessions, and I continue to do that work. It's not only new products; it could be strategy or even cost cutting, logistics work, et cetera. And uh, I've written seven books, two of which are AI assisted. Uh, one is Quirks, and the other is Quotes. I'm going to reference quotes as we get into this because over the summer I spent. You know, I had over 120 interviews with uh, famous dead people. 120 interviews more about. Um, and um, now it's really fun. We're sharing our intellectual property and in, uh, both AI and ideation. We've matched up, mashed up the two in our ingenious problem uh, solving workshop. And then the last thing I would say is um, I'm, I teach in executive ed for Caltech, which has been a, a, a tremendous joy um, getting to meet, you know, Nobel Prize laureates and space shuttle astronauts, et cetera. Thank you very much, Brian. I know you've used ChatGPT to ideate about uh, things like new flavors for Oreo cookies and to go into its lore about what the marketplace might be, what flavors might resonate, where the nostalgia factor might come in. I've always been very intrigued with with how you use it. So thank you for coming back, Brian. Let's go to... Our lavender dragon lady. There's Mary Nunnally. Mary, welcome back. I'm putting you on speaker view. Remind us what you do. Mary. All right. Thanks, Bonnie. So I am a learning experience designer, instructional designer, whatever you want to call it. Um, I have a small agency called the Lavender Dragon Team. We work with our clients to build engaging, interactive, and uh intelligent online courses. Um, It's not just about having fun, although if you're not having fun, you're less apt to want to learn. And we also incorporate AI both into our workflow and when working with clients, looking at best practices for using AI to create courses. There's a big fear out there that AI is just going to flood the marketplace with a bunch of garbage courses. And yes, that is possible. What we try to do is educate in terms of how to best use AI, how to get better results, how to use AI to allow you to have the time to focus on the things that really matter. So think of it as just another tool. I'm also a frustrated writer. So acting as a journalist interviewing my characters, both past and fictional, was quite fun because I could ask some hard-hitting questions um, as if I was a celebrity, um, you know, uh, People Magazine journalist type of thing. (laughs) Mary, I want to credit you with the idea for this show today. Because I believe on my crystal ball predictions show, you had a conversation with a past person that you had done on AI. And I was so intrigued. I think you're the one. I remember yes. in December or January, and I had nine people on the show. And I went, I think Jed might have been on that show. He's nodding. And I went around yeah. the table, pop quiz. And I said, okay, Jed, real person and fictional character, who would you like to talk to through AI? And I did that on a couple of weeks because of you, Mary. So 
ideas come from all kinds of wonderful people. Mary, I'm giving you a special oh, applause <laughs> there. Thank you for the idea. Very, very clever. I'm trying to change it up and bring up the energy a little bit. Not that Yeah, no, I'm excited for today's show. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think this will become a maybe once a month series while I'll ask other previous guests to do this. So we'll use this as the, the benchmark. It's going to be great. Thank you very much. Let's move on. Bob Ficken, welcome back. Always happy to see you, Professor. Talk to us. Remind us. What do you do? Uh, ride my Harley and uh, <laughs> enjoy wine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I've been a HR executive for about 25 years. I've been a university professor for about the same time. I teach uh, leadership, entrepreneurship, systems thinking, change management, you name it. I've worked in almost every industry, probably. Uh, it's probably easier to say that than to rattle them off. But see, retail, semiconductor, software, higher education, solar energy, healthcare. Defense contracting, B2B consulting, and aviation. There you go. There's my list. I uh, currently work uh, as a focal point business and leadership coach. And of course, my university teaching. I'm very excited about today's show. Thank you very much, Bob. And did you have fun with your interviews? Did you use ChatGPT as well? I did. In fact, uh, you know, Samuel Clemens was uh, one of my early heroes when I was young, reading all of the Mark Twain books and Huckleberry Finn and all that. And one of the things I found out was that uh, he was committed to being a lifelong learner, which I have in common with him. There you go. See, the things we learn. Thank you very much. Tom Madonna, welcome back. I always think of Tom as one of my car guys, automotive specialist. And last time he was on the show, he didn't do, he didn't talk about flying taxis or anything like that in the future. So, Tom, you have branched out into other areas of great intelligence. Tom, welcome back. Who are you going to be today? Tell everybody what you're up to, Tom. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks, your viewers. Uh, Tom Madonna, uh, Industry Executive VP for SAP. Uh, my coverage model is all the services and financial services industries. So any uh, of those industries that do not produce a product. So, you know, having been in the street and uh, process manufacturing area, I'm now uh, in, in this old, this area here. And interesting is just uh, concluded a uh, an AI forum that we had here in, in Miami. And uh, we were talking about use cases and execution. And one of the things I found interesting about uh, the topic and about uh, what was coming out was a, uh, a quote from McKinsey that uh, we had talking, and that is everyone right now is in pilot purgatory. Ultimately, no one is getting value. No one's seeing things. Everyone's trying to make a fast buck. But if we don't get out of the pilot process and start actually producing value to the business and to uh, the usership, it's going to be very difficult to um, monetize as, as well as use this particular structure in more than just a an artistry uh, approach to, to pieces. So we talked about use cases, we talked about uh, trends, we talked about the analysis. One thing I found interesting about the interviews um, were that uh, I tried certain, uh, I, I did more than, than two. So I actually started with uh, three people that were uh, passed uh, and, and are gone, and then three fictionals. And what I found was that the uh, the data around that particular character and, and what they said and how much was published and how uh, vocal and how many uh, digital fingerprints uh, people had out there really drove um, the direction of that conversation, as well as uh, the uh, direction that didn't happen if you if you weren't. Uh, so the so the data and the model is is definitely uh, main pieces that uh, individuals need to think about. But was it intriguing in regards to the use? Uh, as well as I used about two or three tools. So I just didn't use ChatDP. I actually went out and used several of our uh, hyperscaler. Uh, okay. 
Very, very uh, interesting. I actually started with uh, with Google's, uh, then did Amazon, then went back to ChatGPT, and then OpenAI. So ultimately, you know, four different ones, and uh, and it was interesting to see the similarities and the differences between them in regards to uh, the model structure and then gestation that was actually going on. Thank you. Very interesting. I might want to talk to you about putting a show together about business use cases for AI in a couple months, Tom. If you could bring me a panel, I think that would be interesting. And some of the others on the panel today might have some, as consultants, you might have some insights on that too. So thank you very much. There's an ongoing discussion on LinkedIn. Some of you may participate in. I think, Nan, uh, Mary, you might have seen it. It's Dan Geller who has been a show on this, the Renegades Agency. And Dan is posting very articulate, prosaic, prosaic types of posts almost every day about what he does and how he did. And 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 he says that if you really want ChatGPT and other LLMs, large language model AI tools to be efficient, stop being polite. So the debate is, do you say please and thank you? And of course, I posted, I always say please and thank you. And that was great. And would you, could you, or I'd appreciate you. Good evening, good afternoon. And the theory is, and he said, I know you do that, Bonnie. I know you would do that. <laughs> yeah, that's the way I was brought up. You say please and thank you. But now people are saying bribe worthy and punishing worthy. And they're saying, just a show of hands, how many of you say please before you start a query with ChatGPT? Jed doesn't and Tom doesn't. Jed, how do you start your queries? I'm more in the camp of Dan, which is command. You, you basically provide the action verb to have them do what you want them to do. Interesting. And keep it nice and concise. Tom, what about you? You didn't raise your hand. Same thing. Ultimately, you're, you're giving them, you're giving the, the system a command to go do something, and ultimately you're, you're expecting a response. Okay, well, I'll tell you, for the poetry I do for my four live shows a week, my opening monologues, I give it an idea that my name is the host. I have different names, <laughs> different alter egos, if you will, and the name of the show and the topic, and then I feed it the entire bio from three or four guests, and I put a dash and in capital, use these bios, and then it writes a poem usually with a couple of lines per guest plus my opening and my closing, which is nice, but if people say to me, how long does it take? And I'll say, if you do one 1,000, two 1,000, by the time you get to three seconds, I've got that poem. It is ingesting that information so fast, I couldn't imagine it being any more efficient. I'm just going to leave that on the table. So I'll continue with the please, if you don't mind. All right, so let's go around the table. Let's start. I'm going to start with you, Jed Taylor. Your first conversation was with Thomas Edison. Why don't you give us a three-minute overview of how that went, what you asked, what it answered, and then we'll do real people for each of you, and then we'll do fictional. So Jed, you're up first. Enjoy. Yeah, uh, Thomas Edison has always fascinated me, and I know we. I wanted to talk to Thomas Edison about his view on AI. And being an inventor himself, I was curious how the AI would perceive his thoughts around that. Uh, the first thing, uh, what I did with my interviews, I I talked to the the uh, ChatGPT and, and asked for uh, questions I could use to interview Thomas Edison based on his historical writings and in history. But bef but but at the very end, what I ended up doing was actually told ChatGPT to be the interviewer moderator and also provide the simulation for Thomas Edison. So it went through and it actually was asking the questions and providing the responses, asking the questions and providing the responses. And it was fascinating how it seamlessly uh, interacted and transitioned between questions. So I, I was really fascinated by that. So I asked Mr. Edison about a number of things about new inventions, about its process of, of um, 
coming up with the new invention. And it, it really was true to what I know from his biography. And in terms of inventions, it said that that it's not sudden flashes of genius, but rather the result of hard work and a lot of trial and error, which is very consistent with uh, the biological or, or auto his bi- autobiographies and, and other writings about him. We talked a little bit about his failures, but things that I really thought was fun is when when uh, the chat GPT asked him what his favorite invention was. And again, using historical information, it correctly said the, the, the phonograph, which is true because he said that multiple times that he says, I've made multiple machines, but this is my baby and I expect it to grow up to be the big feller and support me in my old age, right? So I think it used that reference to say, yeah, that's his favorite one. But it got really fun when we said, um, I, w- what do you think about the future innovations? What do you anticipate? What do you hope to see? And it says, during my time, I envisioned a future where technology would continue to evolve and become more integral to daily life. I imagine, imagine advancements in power generation, distribution, more efficient communication technologies, and perhaps even machines that could mimic human thought. The chat. GPT moderator said, speaking of machines mimicking human thought, what are your initial thoughts on something called artificial intelligence? Mm. And and this is what I really found fascinating is that Thomas Edison said, it is, it's a fascinating concept. And here's what I thought was interesting. interesting. He says, and it aligns with the natural progression of technological innovation. And so... Being an inventor himself, he could envision that that's where things would eventually progress to. So Thank anyway, you. I found that quite fascinating. I think we all do. Very, very interesting how you used it. And this is, in a way, this is a lesson and a model we're offering to listeners and viewers who might want to have just some fun with this or do something. Write a book, right, Brian? And thank you, Jed. Brian, you're next. And Brian did uh, spoke with multiple people no longer with us, Dwight D. Eisenhower, Rachel Carlson, Carson and the artist Jackson Pollock. Three minutes, Brian. How did that go? Yeah, it went really well. Of course, this is from my book, the the book quotes, where I had forty one quotes from famous people, and then I I used ChatGPT to come up with their bios. But the the fun thing was then to say, okay, given these bios, um, what might Rachel Carlson Carson say or Da Vinci or whatever? And so that was really fun. So the one I the quote I picked was um, that's in the book is uh, the uh, the um, the Eisenhower quote, which is in preparing for battle, I have always found that the plans are useless, but the planning is indispensable. And of course, that's his. I think that's his probably most famous quote. And I said, well, why'd you say that? And he said, well, it's the anticipation it fosters, it's the readiness it imbues, it's the ability to re- react in the moment. That, that's key that came from the planning, right? And so then I asked uh, Rachel Carlson what she thought of Eisenhower's quote. And she said, well, you have to consider the inter- intricate complexities of things, of course, around Silent Spring. And then my favorite one was really, I intentionally picked Jackson Pollock's because I said, if there's anyone who does not plan, it's him, right? And this was a eureka moment for me from ChatGPT because it said, um, he, he said, you know, um, for a, you know, f- for an abstract artist, planning is actually indispensable. 
which really surprised the heck out of me. Um, he said, you have to prepare yourself mentally, emotionally, and spiritually for this work. And so he was actually, and, and he said, uh, freeing oneself from constraints and tapping into the boundless uh, realm of the subconscious. So this is one of those moments where Chat GPT really opened up my mind uh, to the possibilities of, you know, what famous people could think of, of, of the world and quotes and everything on the planet. And so in that sense, I see it now as a tremendous, you know, sort of ideation partner. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Um, your comments about Jackson Pollock certainly would, I think, would surprise a lot of people being this spiritual preparation. How do artists do their art? How do they come up with the ideas? Yes, we could talk. That's a whole other show. Brian, thank you. Very, very interesting. Let's uh, move. Bonnie's an artist, so she knows quite a bit about that. <laughs> well, thank you. At limited way. I only have about 250 paintings here in my house, and I decided today's a beautiful day. It's not going to be 20 degrees when the show's over. It might be even 60, so I'm going to go into my art studio and, and start. I do mostly abstracts, Brian, and I don't think about what I'm planning. I just start with a color or paint, pour the acrylics and see where they go. And the paintings talk to me when you're pouring in it. The paint moves around in different directions. Things come to, oh, there are three elephants in a forest. Oh, there are actors on a Broadway stage. I did one during when the pandemic was supposedly ending after about two and a half, three years optimistically. I poured the paint, tilted the canvas, and I could see five people on a Broadway stage singing and dancing in these odd shapes. And they talked to me and I said, yes, people are going to go back to the theater. They're going to sing and they're going to dance and they're going to be happy again. So that's how it works for me. But thank Brian, you've honored me well, certainly very much. And Bonnie, I would just say that was Da Vinci's method at times too. He would look at fresco things on the wall and get ideas from the images, almost like looking at clouds as well. Oh, I like that too. Thank you very much. I feel inspired now. I will paint today and I'll send you a picture, Brian. Mary Nunley, you're next. And Mary talked to somebody very serious, Catherine the Great. Mary, yes. what did you ask her? And what did she tell you? No politics. We talked about this. I know. No politics, no politics. And I took the approach of more, what's the personal life? And so to Tom's point, finding information about somebody that lives halfway around the world from where we're at in the 1700s um, was a little bit sparse. But based on my studies of Catherine the Great and based on things that I've experienced, I think ChatGPT did a pretty good job. And as I mentioned earlier, I took the approach of more of a uh, celebrity magazine journalist as opposed to somebody that was hard hitting, talking, you know, politics and that sort of thing. So I started out by asking her because Catherine the Great was really known for her support of the arts and trying to bring the, 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 the flair of the Enlightenment to Russia during her reign. So I asked her who her favorite artist was. Um, also, of course, knowing that you're an artist. So that was the second question. The first question I can't share because that was politics. But she mentioned an artist that I knew nothing about who is a sculptor, Jean-Antoine Houdon, who did sculptures of Voltaire and Denis Diderot and kind of memorialized them. So I thought that was really fascinating. And that led me down another rabbit hole to interview that artist. And that's a conversation for another time. I also asked Catherine about her love of horses. Um, 
got a, a very clean answer on that one. So we're just going to avoid that one. Um, the other thing that I asked her about was like, what was her typical day like? Because again, we don't have a lot of data about what life is like in the 1700s. And so, especially from royalty. So she talked about, she spent her mornings reviewing state documents, writing letters, meeting with advisors. She spent her afternoons on intellectual pursuits, which I thought, again, a woman in the 1700s, that is rare, fairly uncommon based on our standards of today. So, And then in the evening, she spent time with philosophers, artists, and scientists discussing enlightenment ideals and commissioning works that would enrich the culture. And so one of the things that people often don't think about is the role that culture played and what Catherine the Great was trying to do in terms of bringing that I also asked her what um, her romantic life was like, and that Ooh. was a, an interesting answer. Um, she would be great on a reality show. And then I asked about her children, and then I also asked if she had any regrets about her time as a ruler. And what Chad GPT writing as Catherine the Great said was her biggest regret was not being able to fully implement the ideals of the Enlightenment and not being able to completely eliminate serfdom because of other situations that were happening, but she really wanted to help the common person. So it was a, it was a really interesting interview. I would love to go back in time and actually uh, meet her. Mary, fascinating. And when I opened with my little chat with Wonder Woman, I said, not any real ones. Well, maybe we would want to categorize after your interview, Catherine the Great, if she was working on documents and working on enlightenment back in the 1700s as a woman who was a leader, I could say she would qualify as a Wonder Woman. There you I go. I would agree. Thank you very, very much. Let's go on. We have Bob Ficken next. Bob was talking to Mark Twain. What was that like, Bob? Three minutes. Regale us. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I thought it was pretty interesting and uh, give you a couple of things. I asked him a little bit about uh, what educated guesses that AI would make using ChatGPT about uh, what Samuel Clemens or Mark Twain uh, would have said or felt about AI. And the feedback was that he would have been hopeful and optimistic about the potential benefits of AI, especially if they involved education, travel, or social justice. He was a lifelong learner who was interested in many topics and fields. And he traveled extensively around the world to observe and write about different places and people. He might have appreciated how AI could help him and others access and share information, knowledge, and perspectives. And he might have supported the use of AI to improve the lives and conditions of the oppressed and marginalized. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Very fascinating. Did you get into any of his characters in his books? Did you ask about Huckleberry Finn or or Tom Sawyer or The Raft or uh, anything like that? I asked him about writing Huckleberry Finn and, yeah. and most of it would be unprintable. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, we're coming up with some unprintable moments here. This is interesting. I didn't know ChatGPT went in those directions. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Bob. And let's go to Tom Madonna. And we've got a very serious chat with Abraham Lincoln here. Tom, tell us, how did that go? So I started with three characters. Uh, and uh, I say characters because uh, they all had you know, the same traits or executions. So the first conversation I started with was with my great-great-grandfather, who actually uh, took three of his kids, got in a boat, you know, came from Italy, got off in Ellis Island, uh, started a new 
got in a wagon, went to Colorado, had seven more kids and grew into, you know, the, the family that we currently have today. Very little digital fingerprint. So very, very little, basically pulling traits from things that I had said and attributing to ancestors. Secondly, I then went to uh, Steve Jobs and I said, okay, what, you know, what would Steve Jobs uh, have to say in regards to it? And then lastly, I ended up with a Lincoln, but all three conversations were please just, you know, without getting into politics, please describe your, your, your great leadership traits or your weaknesses that you basically um, did within the era that you basically grew. And, and obviously the more content that was out there, the more information that was written or uh, movies that were out there, et cetera, the data could be pulled in, the more graphic as well as the more uh, colorful the conversation was. For Abe, um, a lot of the quotes that came out were what you would have found in Gettysburg Grass, what you would have found in his, his speeches, et cetera, about keeping the union together, about uh, empathy, about equality, um, weaknesses, taking too much on. Um, shouldering the burden of, of the union, um, what that meant uh, to uh, his health, to his family, uh, what it meant in regards to how much he took on uh, the persona of this was his job to fix based upon was his job or it was under his brain that this happened. Um, Steve Jobs was all about product and uh, you know the the, the streck of uh, of leadership of taking a team and how that team needed to basically move and and produce a task. Again, also weaknesses in regards to what he did with his family, and and you know, at the end of his at the end of his life of trying to reconcile you know that family and and his daughter. Um, and again, back to my grandfather was you know very very little. It was all the traits that you know maybe something I'd said or something I'd published, et cetera. So it really got to me thinking in regards to the execution of how much data is out there and how did that basically transpire. But what I found is the more that was out there, the, the better and broader the conversation could be and uh, also more enlightful in regards to the execution. So like Bob has said, you know, teaching uh, leadership and being leadership being one of my uh, traits that I try to uh, uh, foster and mentor throughout my career. It was, it was a great conversation. I, I chose not to get on the military path. Uh, I wanted to go more into uh, you know, true leaders that we find uh, in leadership today uh, that uh, inspire people and not because they have the rank or not because they have the title, uh, even though uh, Abe did have uh, you know the presidency title. He uh, he picked a lot of the things up, uh, dusted himself off and, and moved on. Thank you very much. Thank you all for those very, very interesting real people from the past. And I love, Tom, that you went into some family history. Very, very interesting. Brian, you raised your hand. Briefly, what's up? Yeah, I just um, I, I I'd be interested to know if if the audience and our listeners here know what uh, Steve Allen's famous. He was, of course, a Tonight Show host, et cetera. But his favorite accomplishment in his entire life, you know, nine hundred songs. Anybody know what that is? I'll tell you. He did a public uh, um, PBS show called Meeting of the Minds, where he had famous people from history. Uh, played by actors, come on and talk about their lives and debate issues. And so St. Augustine would be talking to Bertrand Russell, would be talking to Plato. And you and I, I did that research for the quotes book, but it's fascinating to go back and look at this series. That, Steve Allen, years, decades ago, was doing this. Wow. Yeah. So we're not breaking ground here. We're just re, re, redoing it. Go ahead, Brian. Well, but I think they should uh, rewatch that show now that we have ChatGPT to write the scripts. 
I think so. And I know there's a new show on Voice America with a, I think it's a husband and wife, and they talk to people from the past, and he channels somebody, and now I know how they're how they're doing it. So thank you very much. Let's go to our second. We got we got 20 minutes and we divide by five. That should work out really, really well. Let's go to your fictional character quote. So Jed Taylor, Charlie Brown. Oh my goodness. Did you talk to Peppermint Patty and Linus and anybody else? Jed, take take th- almost two and a half to three minutes and let's get into I want to want to get a lot of characters in here. So Jed, what's up? So this is the one that I was disappointed in. Oh um, you think about Charlie Brown and as a comic, you have 50 years of comic strips. So I had assumed there'd be a little bit more character development. But if you remember, comics are pretty cursory, right? They just kind of float across the top with the same things over and over again. And so as I was asking questions, the things kind of kept going back to the same thing. The other thing that I realized after doing the interview is that Charlie Brown is still an elementary student, right? So, And that's how they responded. Charlie Brown responded as if he was an elementary student. And so some of the responses I got were very myopic or, or, or childlike. And so the question is, how do you deal with challenges? He says, I suppose I just keep trying, even when things don't go my way, like with the football. And he said, the football. I always think this time I'll kick it. You just have to keep trying, I guess, which I thought was, was, was interesting. Got into AI, of course, and said, are your teachers incorporating AI into the classroom? (laughs) Charlie's response was, well, our teachers still mostly use chalkboards. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He said, but maybe maybe AI could help me understand why my kite always gets stuck in the tree. So you're still keeps coming back to just a few themes with Charlie Brown and kind of that childlike thought and, and thinking process. Finally, um, got into the process of asked a little bit about AI and, and you know, he kind of said, I, we, me and my friends, we prefer to play outside and play baseball, but uh, pushed a little bit further asked. And if you could ask AI to do one thing for you, what would it be? Maybe help me kick that football just once. So again, going back to the theme and then interrupted himself. Oh, um, or help me figure out what to say when I talk to that little redhead girl. So I love that response. That was kind of a fun, really, really cute little response at the end. And, and it was fun how it continued on some of those themes that we're very familiar with, with Charlie Brown. Jed, I'm fascinated that it stayed in character. It didn't try to say, well, what would Charlie be when he was 18 or 25 or 30? Or if if he was born as a character in such and such a year, who would he be today? It stayed in character. I studied improv years ago with uh, Michael Gelman and other people in New York. He was from Chicago, Second City. And they taught us to build a character of your improv character. Build who are they? If they were real, what would they eat for breakfast? Where did they go to school? What kind of shoes did they wear? What kind of newspapers did they read? What did they like to do on their vacations? And we built this concept of a character, but we had to stay in that character when we did the character in an improv scene. So I'm thinking that what you learn from ChatGPT is it's able to stay in the lane of that character and be true. That's charming. Did you expect that it would try to advance his age? Just quickly, Jed. I really did. I thought, yep. hey, this has been 80 years ago, so we'd be yep. at a different perspective. But no, it stayed very, very true. And uh, yeah. 
I like that. Thank you. Very charming. Brian W. Manamore. I'm putting the W back, Brian, whether you want it or not. You had a chat with Dr. House. Oh, my goodness. That must have been interesting. Bob just looked, Bob's eyebrows just went up four inches. Brian, tell us, how was the conversation with Dr. House? Two to three minutes. Go. Well, it was really fun. I asked him how he got his ideas. But, you know, I mentioned this to a friend and he said, well, you get, you know how they got the name of the show, right? And I said, no, I'm not sure. And he said, well, it was a derivation of Holmes, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes is like House. And that's where House came from. And because, you know, House is really the modern day Sherlock Holmes in uh, medical. So um, I said, how do you get your ideas? He said, it's the smallest details, et cetera. And then uh, it was wonderfully said. And if that doesn't work, you can always break into people's houses because that's where you can learn so much about them. And this reminded me certainly of our work where we do, you know, at home interviews because, um, you know, for products and such to see where they put them on the shelf and how they open them up and how they take them out of the refrigerator is fascinating. This is, of course, is the the field of ethnography. So um, that was one thing I asked. I asked how you be creative, and he says you go for the what behind or the why behind the what. Um, and he said you have to have a diverse team, which is, of course, in a critical factor in our work of getting cross-functional teams. Um, and then I said to him, well, what's the weirdest thing you've ever tried to do to solve a problem? And he said the weirdest thing, you're asking a man once treated a tapeworm with a dead man's bowel and introduced a coma to diagnose a brain infection, right? So I thought that was pretty good. And that certainly reminded us of a technique we use in our work, which is called the worst idea or silly idea. You you go for the worst you can think of and then you flip it. But House had to say, um, sometimes the weirdest approach is the only way, the way to get at the trick, particularly tricky problem. Embrace the weird, the unconventional, and the seemingly irrelevant more often than not, that's where the answer is. And so, you know, House House is now a buddy of mine. And, um, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll probably go back to him and discuss more about ideation and innovation process. Thank you. I was intrigued when you said, uh, he said, if you don't have enough information, break it. One second time, yes. Break into somebody's house. And I think I watch a lot of procedurals, French detective shows and some of the NCIS, CSI. And I started thinking about a year ago, what if something happened to me and somebody came into my house, what clues would they find? Brian, where did I put what on what shelf? How where where is the toothpaste? Uh, where's I don't use hairspray. Where 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 are the combs and brushes? What am I what am I nightwear look like? What's on my bedside table? What would they learn about me if somebody came in my house right now today? What would they learn, and how would they find me if I was missing from the clues I left? Is there a half slice of raisin bread with peanut butter, which I have to have now for my, never mind, every morning? What if I left a couple? Oh, she had raisin bread. It's on the Melmac plate. I wonder if she got that from her mother. That plate's 50 years old. They don't sell those in antique stores anymore. So very interesting. I know everybody wants to make a quick comment. Tom, 30 seconds, go. Tom? Yeah, one of the things that I found interesting is that uh, Graham Kelsey, uh, talk. Can you can you hear me? Yep. Go ahead. Graham Kelsey's uh, show on uh, in Britain uh, had, had all the doctors on it uh, of the fictional characters, including Hugh and uh, and several others. And they were asking him about uh, you know what does he remember about the show and how much of the medical journal uh, jargon does he remember? And he said uh, after four years of playing, after four years of stop playing it and eight years of playing it, he doesn't remember anything. 
So it was interesting <laughs> that uh, back to uh, the process of the show. ChatGPT doesn't forget. Anybody else have a quick comment for for Brian? Did you want to add one more thing? Go. Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, I've always had a fantasy that they would have a scanner at supermarkets. This is about you know what's in your house, but I thought it'd be really interesting to have a scanner at supermarkets. And based on what you were buying, it give it would give you an estimate of how long you might live. Oh my gosh! <laughs> let's let's not go there. <laughs> I did buy the canola oil yesterday, but I also bought the Tillamook French vanilla ice cream, which was on sale. Okay, let's not go there. Thank you very much. I didn't buy the coconut frozen shrimp, but that's a treat. Let's go to speaking well, of I... doctors. Speaking of doctors, Mary Nunley. Mary, her quotes always on all my shows are. Doctor Who, and she <laughs> interviewed the fourth doctor and the twelfth doctor. Mary, give us a three-minute overview of those conversations. Go ahead. Sure. So I, I wanted to interview multiple doctors. If you're not familiar with Doctor Who, you got about 60 years of television to catch up on, but I thought I'd go classic Who and new Who. So first I interviewed the fourth doctor, the iconic Tom Baker and his scarf. And so I asked him about the scarf, and if you're not familiar about with the scarf, it's about a seven-foot-long scarf, and there's a fun story behind how it was created. That's what I wore to my college graduation so that my parents could see me in the thousands of people graduating at the time. So <laughs> anyway, I asked him about the scarf. I asked the Tom Baker character about his companions. I asked him about his adversaries. And he said that the Daleks and the master were the ones that were probably the most challenging for him. What was really great, though, is he, Chad GPT really kept the whole persona and um answer style in the style that we're used to from the Tom Baker era, which is very smart, but comes across as a little derpy. Um, and he also mentioned Jelly Belly, Jelly Babies, which again, if you followed that time frame, Jelly Babies is the treat that he always eats. Mm -hmm. I then moved on to a little bit of a darker era, Peter Capaldi, the 12th doctor, who really kind of was underrated in my opinion. Um, talented, talented character. If you've ever watched him on British television though, with his foul mouth, watching him play the doctor, you're always just waiting for something to slip. Um, but he did well, and he didn't do that. But I asked him about regeneration, which is how the Doctor Who character comes back as a different person. We also have a new version of regeneration now with the 14th and 15th now first, um, but that's a different story for a different day. It's a complicated process, though, where you're constantly reinventing yourself. And as we went through the conversation, I asked both doctors, like, what their words of wisdom would be for today. And the thing that the 12th doctor said is that when I asked, what do you do when you're facing your own daunting challenges? He said, face them head on. Don't run from your fears or your faults. Learn from them, grow, and let them teach you to be kinder, stronger. Remember, in the darkest times, hope is something you give yourself. That's the meaning of inner strength. I thought that was really appropriate, though, as we talk about technology, the future, AI, people that are afraid of AI. How is it going to change? Am I going to have a job? Am I going to lose my job? It's like, face that fear head on. And then with Tom Baker, I asked him what message would he leave to the people in the audience. And he said, never be afraid to embrace the unknown. The universe is filled with extraordinary mysteries waiting to be unraveled. Approach life with curiosity, kindness, and a sense of adventure, and always carry a jelly belly baby in your pocket because you never know when it might come in handy. So both of these responses were very true to the characters. I've been watching The Doctor since the 1970s, and so I thought it was spot on. <laughs> 
Thank you, Mary. I, I knew you would pick one of the one or more of the million <laughs> Doctor Who. So thank you very much. Interesting about the scarf. I have to look that up. What color was in the seven seven yard long, seven foot Multi-colors. long? Multicolors. It was all different colors. I have to go find I have a lot of scars. Maybe I'll put them all together if I don't want to make it. I'll, I'll send you pictures. Thank you. Now, we have a real treat. We've got two guests, Bob Ficken and Tom Madonna, who both talk to da 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 That's not Jaws. That's Batman. I didn't do it right. So, Bob, why don't we start with you? And what did you ask Batman? And then, Tom, you'll finish it up. And we've got about seven minutes left, plenty of time. So, Bob, take your three minutes. Go. First, I need to offer my HR services to Brian if he's going to be friends with the house. <laughs> go ahead bob Batman. Hi, Bob. you're hired we'll talk later <laughs> people get jobs on the show all the time go, go ahead and collaborate oh, bob i asked Batman. Uh, i asked chat bt what batman would predict about the future of ai and kind of interesting because first it complimented me and i immediately got suspicious <laughs> so this is a creative question batman is a fictional superhero who appears in comic books published by dc comics He's also known as the Dark Knight, the world's greatest detective, and the Caped Crusader. He has no superpowers, and I had forgotten about that. He actually doesn't have any superpowers, but relies on his intellect, skills, gadgets to fight crime in Gotham City. And then I got into what he would what he would actually predict, and said one of the uh, predictions for Batman would, that he would predict about the future of AI was that they are not definitive or comprehensive. Batman is a complex and d- dynamic character, and his opinions and predictions may vary depending on the context and the writer. So then I asked him in more detail about what AI and law enforcement would help him with enforcing you know, crime and all that. Batman would predict that AI will create new opportunities and challenges for justice and crime and require new strategies and tactics to deal with them. He collaborated with AI heroes such as Metal Men, the Justice League 3000 and Justice League 3001 to fight against evil forces and protect the innocent. He also opposed AI villains, such as the Calculator, the Thinker, and the Brainiac, who used their intelligence and technology to commit crimes and harm others. He would be well-prepared and adaptable to the changing landscape of law and order. Thank you. Very, very interesting. And let's see if we, let's bring Tom Madonna in. Tom, you asked different questions of Batman. And why did you choose Batman? Tom, tell us what you found out. Well, Batman's been a, you know, a favorite of mine since I was growing up. So I started watching Batman in the 60s and 70s. So part of the question I was trying to understand is, you know, how it was going to compilate that particular character across all the different writings, all the different pieces. And, you know, if, if you, if you've, studied Batman and all the different writings around him and all the different characters, the Crusader, Dark Knight, etc., you'll see a psychological break that occurs in the process of him growing up and then losing his parents. And it was interesting when I asked Jack TVP about that, it almost came back as a bipolar slash multiple personality answer. Mm. So I got a conversation that occurred in regards to the comic portion of Batman in the in the 70s with the TV show to Dark Knight to the Crusaders to some of the novels that were written and it really was interesting in regards to trying to blend those together and give me an answer that I was actually looking for based upon a trait or a uh, um, an execution of what something was going on so it it, it was uh, almost too much data that it tried to compilate and actually collapse down into an answer 
And as as the answers came out, again, same types of things that I talked about in the, with the with the real character is there was enough written about them that they basically did it. But it was interesting to go through and say, okay, this line came from a Dark Knight conversation. This line came from a Crusaders. This line came from the comic, etc. Um, so it was almost interesting to the point of having to read through it, understand it, break it apart, and put it back together to understand the character itself. But it was uh, it, it didn't come back and ask me, you know, which which genre did I want? I because the question I asked, but uh, it'd be interesting to go back and ask it specifically about those and see how those particular uh, answers would have changed based upon uh, giving it a a genre or era of that particular character. Thank you all, Bob. Any comments back to Tom because you both talked to Batman, Bob? Quickly, I was just kind of surprised that AI never mentioned Robin. Ah, interesting, interesting. Thank you all for this uh, very, very interesting. I, I admire all of you for the energy you put into the quote-unquote assignment for this show. I know you're all very busy and have lives outside of Technology Revolution Radio, but you've been very loyal to the show. So I'm going to ask a, a silly question. If we come back and do part two, because I think you're all in this mode, who would the next fictional character Mary, no more Doctor Who. We've covered 5,000 Doctors. <laughs> Who, you must be somebody else you're curious about. I already did Elvis and Wonder Woman, so there you Well, Wonder Woman. So who would be, uh, and Brian, think outside of what you've talked about in your book, something brand new. So let's go around the table quickly and just see. We've got about three minutes left, so let's use a minute and a half of that. Jed Taylor, who else would you like to talk to who was never existed except in somebody's imagination or drawing? Jed? I actually might go back and push Charlie Brown again, but say, imagine Charlie Brown is 80 years old and has all of the life experiences after the comic strip to see what, what uh, AI would predict. I would want to ask Lucy. <laughs> I would talk to Lucy. There you go. And I've been called Lucy in the past because, well, my hair was a little more Lucy-like years ago, but uh, yeah, it was a mistake. Anyway, let's go around the table. Uh, Brian, what other fictional would you like to talk to? Gosh, I'm still still trying to think. I, I'm trying to think of someone in history who, or a fictional character who was interested in books and reading, and um, maybe um, the heroine from Beauty and the Beast because she loved loved books. Maybe. Okay, and on that score, I would ask Nancy Drew, and I don't know if you all know, but the Nancy Drew was not written by Carolyn Keene. Nancy Drew was written by a cadre of over 16 different ghostwriters who were either relatives of or employed by the publisher of the original Nancy Drew mystery teenage sleuth character. Wow. Yes, there were a whole string of writers, including, I think, the sister-in-law and the sister of the man who published them. And uh, I would like to find out Nancy Drew, and the, the character changed over the years, and I had some Nancy Drew books when I was growing up. So I would like to talk to Nancy Drew, detective extraordinaire. Mary, other than Doctor Who, who to whom would you like to speak? Well, since I am in the Super Who Lock fandom, it would have to be Sam Dean, Castiel, and Chuck um, from the show Supernatural. Or if we're going books, Jason Asano from He Who Fights with Monsters. Thank you. Bob Sicken, who would you like to talk to? We got one minute left. Mickey Mouse. Oh, yes. Absolutely. That would be fun. And I would talk to Minnie or Goofy. Okay. Tom Madonna, who would you talk to? Anakin Skywalker through Darth Vader. There you go. I uh, Please applaud yourselves just on behalf of me. Please give yourselves a, a round of applause. You took this so 
Tom, come on, plot. We you took this all seriously and and came to the table with really great information. I hope you had as much fun bringing to me as I did hearing what you all did. And remember what we're how we're going to end the show. And and thank you to Matt, our engineer. Everybody, put up your finger. We're going to wave a finger on the count of three. You're going to join me in saying no, no, no. People say the future is already here, and our answer, because we know the truth, is one, two, three. No, no, no. no. Jed, Jed, put a little more energy into it. One, two, three. No, no. <laughs> There you go. That's because that was yesterday's future. That was the future when I said the sentence before. It's gone. It's not the future anymore. So let's do our best. AI or not. Well, it's here. We're working with it. Let's do our best to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye to LinkedIn. Wave goodbye to Facebook times two. Wave goodbye to YouTube. Wave goodbye to Voice America Business. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.